Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome back to another edition of Cardboard Philosophy, joined as always by Stephen and Robert. Good afternoon, gents. Hello. Hello. And uh, I'm Evan. I should probably introduce myself before we get into it, but let's get into it. Uh, let's roll some uh, dice and see where we wind up. Wait, we're rolling multiple dice? I'm not actually sure how this works now that I get thinking about it. Is it just like some gigantic <laughs> abomination of like a D20 with more sides than that? Or is it multiple D6s and we add it up? Uh, if it's multiple D6s and we add it up, then there's a chance of getting the middle numbers higher than the extremes. So... Perhaps we just roll a really big polyhedral. I feel like I hear some clacking, though. So for truth, theater of the mind. <laughs> uh, so the number that we got was 15, which is random number generation. This is a Steve question. Take it away, Steve. I think this one is really just as simple as rolling dice versus, say, drawing cards. I remember when I first played like Gloomhaven, um, reading about how there were a lot of cases where you were essentially rolling a d20, but you were doing it by shuffling 20 cards, and that allowed you to swap certain numbers in and out or like add to it and kind of like change the die faces without having to have some complicated like die that you would actually mm. change the sides of. That's about it, and we, we can talk about wherever that leads, but um, yeah, does, does, it, does it really change a game to have it be a deck of cards versus some dice versus some other way of doing it? I think as a player, without even getting into the psychology or why, there is definitely a different emotional response between me rolling dice, me drawing a card, me pulling chits out of a bag. And I think a lot of that comes down to both the perception of the RNG, which we'll just establish now as random number generation because I'm going to use that slang term a lot. And I uh, always forget that that's not common parlance. I think a good example of that is something like Arkham Horror, the card game, where you have a bag with a bunch of different numbers in it. The perception is feels different because you're kind of the person controlling where that number is coming from. You're the one reaching into the bag. You're the one pulling out the number, but it's realistically the same as a modular die. I think there's kind of two ways we could answer this question. The first is like statistically, which is maybe less interesting, but I like that we're talking about feeling and that's the second way we could talk about it. I like what Evan said about the bag pulling. Like if you draw the top card of a deck, it's almost like the person who shuffled it somehow ended up putting that card there you feel that way mm -hmm. it's not like you drew it but like when you're like mm -hmm. digging around in a bag when you're playing a game like quacks of quedlinburg or, or arkham horror as evan said then it feels like you have more control even though you don't it's, it's the same as a deck of cards or a die depending on if you put the token back mm -hmm. or not players convince themselves that they have more control over rng than they really do and the the like tactile experience yeah. of how you generate that random number definitely changes maybe how much it hurts or how excited you are mm. when you get the right number or the wrong number even like rolling a die or some dice you feel like you you know through the die you chose where to throw it how hard to throw it etc versus drawing a card off the top of a deck feels a little more like fate had already been decided you know i was just unfolding the next thing i think dice are really weird in this regard because to me of all the different ways i think dice might feel 
both the most swingy, but also the most predictable because a deck of cards, if it's a deck builder, you know what you've put into your deck so you can kind of like gauge the statistical likelihood that you are going to get something. But you can also start to do that with dice because if you're rolling two D6s, the most common result is going to be some variation of seven. But at the same time, when I'm you know playing a troops on a map game or playing something with conflict, you know, that involves me rolling dice, that often does not feel as controlled as if I'm playing a deck builder where it's, well, I know I'm going to draw five cards. I have a 10 card deck, so I have a 50% chance of drawing the card I need, even though maybe I could do a very similar thing with the dice. Yeah, I think dice also have, you know, you'll hear people say stuff like, oh, that dice is messed up. Or, yeah. You know, like that one's <laughs> bad luck for me. Like, you know, it's I, I think we as humans, like it's so easy to associate things like that. Like it's it's very common, you know, like they're in a lot of gambling games yeah. and stuff like that. So it's yeah. Or this ridiculous notion that you can like get the bad rolls out of the way where <laughs> like where dice are independent. What I rolled now has no effect on what I roll the next time I roll it, right? But a deck of sure. cards, you can get the bad cards out of the way, assuming you don't reshuffle the deck every time you draw. So that's like how they're statistically different, um, right? independent versus dependent probability, which you can read about if you like. Luck is so fun to humans precisely because we ascribe more to it than there really is. Like mm -hmm. I went through like school learning a lot of statistics, and so for a while I would like turn on my like economist brain when playing dice games and think they're stupid and get mad at people when they would like make things like say things like oh i am i'm unlucky today but then i like learned to embrace that and be like this is like part of the human experience to just like be an idiot in a good way and so it's just yeah. like that that those luck games just like let you engage with like the monkey brain part of your yourself you say you can't be unlucky today but you've never played Rapido with me. Yeah, it definitely gets into the the feelings of it. You know, like you yeah. you can't literally, technically, scientifically be unlucky, but you can definitely feel unlucky today, you know? Yeah. So just to keep a bit of a structure to this, should we talk about the different forms of random number generation and the emotional response that they get from the audience, the different ways that those impact gameplay? Like, how do we want to like approach this from a more meta standpoint? Yeah, I mean, we've hit sort of cards and dice a bit and maybe a bit of the bag pulling. I don't know if there's anything else to add to those. Spinners. Spinners, yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, I forgot about spinners. You don't see them often. Yeah, I think, I think it's because they give the players a little bit too much control. I think it's very easy to fall into the hole or like the thought of like you can try to like game it based on how hard you spin yeah. it or whatever. But I mean, yeah. if you're just like flicking it as hard as you can, then at that point, it's it's very random where it ends up. But it's it feels less random somehow. Yeah, I want to make a case that they are actually less random on a mass market sense, because usually it's fairly thin plastic or a thinner material being used to construct the spinner, which is very easy to warp in transport. You're exposed to cold heat, like stuff that can kind of affect that thin grade of plastic. Cause I've definitely had spinners where they will just kind of default to a certain position. And unless you put a bit more extra oomph into it, it's probably going to wind up in like the red zone, which you don't want it to wind up in, which I guess could be a design intention. To me, the spinner feels the worst because a die usually like there has to be a pretty big chunk out of it before that's going to start to affect the actual mechanics of that device. Whereas a spinner, I feel, can go off the rails very easily just to be that mm. guy. It doesn't make it less random. It's like if you had a die that was like one, two, 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 
and you rolled it, it's still random what face shows up. It's just the distribution has changed. Yes. If in case anybody listening is annoyed that we said that, I'm sorry. No, that's that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. But I think that's why you don't see it is because like the production matters so much for those things, and mm-hmm. they're just not as fun. I think it has to do with that you're touching less of the thing when you're flicking you get like a nail on the spinner when you're rolling dice they're like in your hand when you're drawing a card you're like you're using your whole hand when you're bag mm. pulling which we said is kind of like the most intense feeling yeah. in randomness like your your arm is in the bag kind of and you're like really digging around mm. so it seems like the spinner has the least tactile experience for some reason i thought of life like the game of life and i feel mm-hmm. like that one has more like the knob Am I wrong about that? No, I feel like right. it's more like a it's more like a carousel thing that sits on a thing and you kinda like grab the knob and spin it and it kinda click 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 click. Like like Wheel of Fortune style or something, or like price is right. I think it's probably just different editions, but I've seen that edition of life before, yeah. But I think that has a similar feel. Like you're you're only using your fingers, kind of. I don't know. It, yeah. it feels very detached from the from the human body. I, th- I think you guys are right that it's probably comes down to like production quality it has to be more on, but like, it's weird to me. I don't know. I, I'm calling it now. I want I think uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see that in a game someday where they have just like a really satisfying kind of spit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're also right that maybe you feel like you have a little too much control. Like you could kind of, uh, and push it just the right amount. I don't know what advantage a spinner has over dice also. Like a deck of cards is a very obvious advantage is that it's dependent. The draws are dependent. But a spinner, like, it may as well just be dice. I guess it just lets you maybe manipulate the sides of the dice much easier. So if you have a game where you need to do like mm-hmm. a D4, that becomes a D6, that becomes a D10. You could have like different faces, kind of like this, the spinner wheels oh. you can put on top or something. <laughs> and that would make it easier to like switch in the moment. But at the end of the day, it seems very similar to a die roll. And dice yeah. are just so much more ingrained in part of the human experience yeah. than spinners. And probably cheaper. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the only way to really make a spinner independent of production is something like a dreidel, where you have the different effects on each side of the dreidel, whatever side it lands on is the effect. But that's just a dice with more steps. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to make a spinner game. Sorry, unrelated. Me too, uh, aside. Well, well, speaking of wanting to make a game, something else that we've talked about before, or at least you've mentioned in the past, Robert, is wanting to use a Plinko board in a design. Oh, yeah, yeah. Plinko. Plinko, I think, is very similar to Spinner in the sense that you can try to game it, especially like if it's like a really wide Plinko board. You can mm-hmm. definitely game it because... If you assume that like the probability of it going left or right after a peg hit is 50-50, then yeah, if you put it on the left side, the chances of it ending up on the right side are ridiculously tiny. Yeah. It still could, but you can definitely game it by by where you place it. So Plinko is another mechanism that I have not seen in board games. I'm sure <laughs> there's at least one, but it's definitely not common at all. Less common than spinners. I also thought of just like a basic coin flip. I mean, that obviously mm-hmm. has the limit limitation of strictly two sides that's kind of just a two-sided die in a way yep and weirdly i think sometimes people have a hard time flipping if it's like the coin's too heavy i've seen it happen yeah <laughs> the weird thing about a coin flip though is we interpret that as being 50 50 but that's not even the case with the coin flip because depending on which face of the coin you start on will affect the likelihood of that face reappearing i don't remember if it's, it's like 55 45 or something 
if it's face up, that's likely to reappear or something like that. Robert probably knows the actual statistical number there. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Because it also depends on the strength that you flick it with. Maybe it's a thing where it's like the, the average flick force or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's something where like it's more likely to end up on the face that you started it with. Yeah. But in like some ideal you know, world, then it should be 50-50. But I think, I think we can just treat it as a two-sided dice. What else is there? So there's this um, old book series called Lone Wolf. It's like a choose-your-own-RPG series. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who... I can't remember the author's name for the life of me. But I think Gary Chalk did the art for it. And I played it way back when. And I don't remember exactly what it was. But it's something like you throw a pencil like on the paper. Mm. <laughs> you throw it like on a grid of numbers. And based on where the, the, the tip of the pencil lands, that's the number you get. And it was really annoying to do. It was like I would rather roll a D10, which I think it ended up being <laughs> literally just a D10. Um, but that was just a way to like get out of a die is like use the pencil that you already have anyways for this choose your own RPG thing yeah. that you're doing and you just drop it. And I think there's there's similar stuff to that, like in kind of games from from other cultures, like where you drop sticks or you roll sticks. Yeah. I think we've covered the most popular options in Western gaming. I'm trying to think of any like Pacific based games that I know of that have a different random number generator, but I just don't know of them. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about was digital. Oh, digital true. games or digital implementations that have their own RNG. Yeah. It's much, much easier for like the designer to be malleable and and make like a you know an effective like seventeen sided dice where attack shows up four times and defense shows up three times, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, which you can't do in board games. In board games it happens to be very nice and even. You know, the best you can do is like modify an even sided die. I've always found it a little interesting that in a lot of like casinos, a lot of the slot machines are digital these days. And at first I always was like a little surprised. I was like, oh, I'm surprised people just like accept that, you know, they're not just rigging the whole thing. Digi- you know what I mean? Like it seems like so like not that they couldn't do it mechanically, but for yeah, some yeah. reason it just the the idea for me at first is seeing that seemed like, oh, that's like people just sort of trust that. And it, I feel like board gamers are less <laughs> trusting, you know, like there's something about having it just be behind an app that maybe feels like. Well, I don't even know what it's doing, but games are starting to lean into that to the point where they can do things that you can't just do with some dice or that are super fiddly to do. Like you would have to roll a D hundred and then look up a bunch of responses and a thing and then like calculate that against like what things have already happened. You know what I mean? Like you can have a lot of this baked in video game magic. Um, Yeah. I don't tend to like digital anything near my games to begin with. Like I'd rather just kind of play a video game at that point um that's my hot take for the day but (laughs) i think part of the reason for that is if there's a form of number random generation in that app i don't know how we're getting to that number so uh, to your point steve like i just don't know that i trust it as much because like a good example of that is baldur's gate 3 is a very popular video game that's out right now it is based on um, fifth edition D and D, which is fairly unforgiving. Like if you roll a one, you just fail. If you roll a twenty, it's like a natural success. To help mitigate that, they have a system in place in that game called uh, Karmetic Dice, which basically means if you're rolling really, really well, so if you get a bunch of positive rolls back to back to back to back, then it will start to weight against your next couple of rolls, so that it's going to be more inclined to fail. Or if you fail a bunch, then it's going to start adding modifiers to increase your likelihood of getting a better result. That karmetic thing is super interesting. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like a lot of the fun of luck is how swingy it can be. 
like why why smooth it out right you're just bringing everything middle like now my my role is always going to be around a 10 over the course of many roles but like yeah. what if today i'm like rolling 15 constantly i don't want to be shut down that's like a fun story especially in games like that where you're like just constantly failing or constantly doing well it's like hilarious precisely because you're rolling dice and that shouldn't happen but it did it's one of those like i can't believe you rolled x again how like what's the probability yeah. of that and you can't say that if the dice are weighing themselves back to center in a way that almost feels more realistic to me like life is so weird and swingy <laughs> i think i my initial reaction to a lot of digital stuff or like a digital implementation in a game is, is kind of similar it's like well we could just play a, a video game or something um i feel like I've, i'm starting to see some though that like do seem to still give you the whole tabletop experience you're still manipulating and moving stuff around and then it just sort of takes the place of like the dm or the storyteller right like where it just mm -hmm. yeah reads the next bit of text so that nobody has to awkwardly read it out of the book or like does a lot of upkeep so that you don't have to do all this fiddly stuff you can just focus on the cool yeah. story and playing the game I'm, I'm wondering if it's a matter of like transparency like you know every time you have to randomly pick a number if the app screen shows you like a d20 bouncing around the screen and landing on a thing or if you even kind of gave it a flick at least if it's showing me generally like how it's arriving at that number i don't feel as much like it's just hidden behind this you know veil um yeah 100 percent that would help uh and i know that is not logical at all that's just my psychology and my biases well, at play there Going back to the digital slot machines, I mean, pretty much everyone yeah. I've seen, it still looks like they. you still see all the things yeah. zip, zipping by and you can still hit the buttons and you can still stop it. Like, is the, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you still understand what is randomly happening. I definitely want to see numbers moving so that I at least feel like I have a sense of why the numbers are going the way they are. I still mm. don't like it, but <laughs> I'm a little bit less harsh toward it at that point. So I think our take, our two big takeaways are the more tactile the experience of doing the generation, uh, the more you feel like you have control even though you don't, or maybe the more fun it is. And then the more transparent that generation is, uh, the more fun it is, or the more emotionally involved you are. So something to do with like attachment, right? In both yeah. cases, like one is like tactile, one is like visual. Like, do I see the thing rolling? Do I feel, you know, pulling the card or whatever? Those things make us feel attached and thus invested. If, if a random number is being pulled out of what seems like thin air, it's really hard to feel invested in that. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, or to even like feel like you understood, you know, like to see the the yeah. die. If you can see that it's a D6, then you kind of know what you're dealing with. So then as a designer, how should you be taking these different number generators? Obviously feels a big part of it. The actual mechanics and statistical averages depending on what you're trying to do but i guess what i'm kind of getting at is to steve's point off the top of you are drawing cards but you uh, what game was that? i think it was oathsworn they give you a deck of cards they give you dice and i think they give you a tote bag as well those aren't necessarily going to give you the same results they're going to give the player a different psychological effect though i just was thinking of uh thunder road vendetta mm. i i've heard that i don't have it i just have the regular dice version but i think i've heard that the kickstarter there was like a add-on or something that you could get cards and it very much changes exactly like to you know robert's point that it's not as swingy like you know okay that card already came out you know i think you don't necessarily reshuffle them right away so it changes the game um 
in a way that it's kind of like, okay, now you have these two modules, you have these two ways of playing it depending on your taste. So I hadn't seen that before personally. I think Catan has a card deck, uh, like mini expansion. Hmm. Yeah, where the die rolls are just on a deck of cards. So yeah, I think it just has to do with how much control you want to give the player, how much control and knowledge you want them to have. Dice are more swingy, cards are more predictable. I think it just depends on the game's context. Like Thunder Road, to me, seems like the kind of game where swingy is the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want that chaos. Why would you want to squish things back to center? But if you have like um, a more thinky kind of game then cards might make more sense like deck builders tend to be a bit thinky right and even Catan weirdly feels a little more like appropriate yeah oh yeah yeah i agree <laughs> i think i think it makes much more sense to use the cards in Catan. yeah it's it's, it's a more thinky kind of slow game yeah, so that makes yeah, a lot of sense yeah. to, to use there and then there's also like the ease of modification like dice are hard to modify right um i mean tom layman made dice realms which is like race for the galaxy with dice but that's huge, very expensive, and nobody ended up really buying it. It's like super discounted now. Yeah. Mm. Um, so cards and bags are just really easy. And and bags are really the, I think, the happy medium. Because with a card deck, it's really annoying to ask the player to shuffle it every time. Yeah. If you want the draws to be independent as they would be on a die, you would have to make them shuffle it every time. Right. But that's a nuisance. But they also have the advantage of like you can add stuff and modify stuff. And bags are the happy middle because bags are super easy to yeah. like in quacks to add stuff or take stuff out. And they kind of auto shuffle. You just throw it in the bag and it's shuffled again. Yep. So I think if you want that independent rolling, but with customizability, you go with a bag. If you want just the independent rolling and the chaos, you go with dice. If you want the customizability and predictability, you go with cards. I think those three cover like pretty much all your bases. Which is why we don't see more than those three very often. So are we picking our favorite random number generation in the game? I'm going to go two, I think. Um, the first one is going to be Reiner Knizia. Ding. Thank you. But we, uh, we ding his name with all <laughs> games. Well, the, okay. the rules are changing live. I had someone ask me this week, what's the dinging? I was like, oh, I probably should explain that again. Nah. So when we mentioned a Reiner Knizia game. Uh, so Reiner Knizia is raw um ding i See, really do it yeah <laughs> there we go i really like how much emotion can get tied up in just pulling tiles out of that bag and the tiles are set at the start of the game so you can technically get a good idea of how often certain tiles are going to come out but quite often that will blow up in your face um there's this emotional response of blaming people for pulling the tiles out that they pull out there's an emotional response for people choosing to pull instead of just triggering an auction there's all sorts of fun stuff that can happen and the tiles never go back into the bag so it's a constantly dwindling pool of tiles which i find very very exciting and then the other one i think i'm going to go with is castles of burgundy which is just rolling dice but it's such an effective way of using dice rolls and the dice becoming a currency that is swingy but also not swingy because at a certain point as we've talked about before that game just comes down to forethought and skill not so much whether or not you're just constantly rolling ones i know lists are better when threes but those are the two i can think of so maybe i'll come back maybe i won't both great picks i think raw is raw is so smart like it, it just shows that the, the guy who made it understands mm-hmm. emotional responses to rng because a lot of your turns in that game are just drawing a tile out of the bag and it rarely matters who drew the tile. On one specific tile, on the raw tiles, it does matter who drew it. But besides that, it does not matter. There yeah. could be like, you know, the game could be kind of drawing them for you, so to speak. 
But just the fact that there's a person pulling it elicits an emotional response because it matters for everybody. So that, that's great. I'll actually throw a third one in there just to keep the list um, <laughs> Ben Shui high. Uh, Orongo, which is another Reiner Knizia game. Ooh, ding. Yeah. Uh, it's also pulling tiles not out of a bag, although I'm going to buy a bag just because I think it's going to be more fun to pull the tiles out of a bag. Uh, you're pulling tiles and then you're auctioning them off. The auction mechanic in that game is really, really cool. But just the way that value and the development of the shared game board shapes and shifts with those random tile draws, but it doesn't feel swingy. It feels impactful, but I never felt like, oh man, this is so not going in my way. It always felt like, oh, that's something I can capitalize on. Even if it wasn't directly in my favor, it always felt like more potential and more opportunities were opening up, even though it's all random. And I thought that was such a cool way of how that game has been balanced and how all the numbers and the seating in the bag has kind of been done. Great pick. I was going to have Castles of Burgundy as one of mine, but you took it. Yeah, when thinking about randomness, especially with dice, Steffenfeld is, is the master in, in the Euro game strategy space. He does not ever fall on big number good, which in something yeah. like, you know, an Ameritrash, a game like Zia, big number is good. And that's the fun of it. It's like rolling the big and like the, the downs of the lows. There's always some trade off or it just doesn't matter. So like in Castles of Burgundy, it doesn't matter. One to six are just, they could be symbols. They don't actually, the, the numerical value has no importance. But in two of his other games, the numerical value does have an importance, but there's a very obvious cost and a trade-off to a higher or low number. So the first one I'll mention is Bora Bora. Three dice here that you roll, D6s, and then you're going to use those to take your actions. But the actions are happening like on a central kind of action board, and when you put a die out to take an action, the higher the number, the better the action across the board. But you cannot place a die on an action if it would be the highest die there. So if you roll a lot of high dice, you have powerful actions, but you're going to be limited in what actions you can pick. Because if somebody puts like a one on something, nobody else can go there, basically. Because all the dice mm -hmm. would be higher. Um, so that, that's a great example of using dice in a strategic way and giving obvious trade-offs to each. And then there is uh, Amsterdam, which was previously Macau, but has been reprinted as Amsterdam. And in that one, you roll, I think it's six dice, Again, they're D6s, and they're in the six colors of the game's resources. And everybody picks two of those dice independently of each other. And if I picked, like, the gray four, that means I'm going to get four gray resources. If I picked the purple two, I would get two purple resources. But I don't get them right now. I would get the four gray resources in four turns and the two purple resources in two turns. Mm -hmm. So the higher the number, the more resources you get, but the longer you got to wait to get them. The lower the number, the less you get, but you get them right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, just like a very obvious, transparent trade-off that makes the choice of what die to take so excruciatingly difficult. So <laughs> those are my picks. Castles of Burgundy, Bora Bora, Macau slash Amsterdam. That rondelle in Amsterdam is brilliant. Well, Evan already said Ra and Arango, so I don't have to talk about those. We've also talked about my, my main pick, which is uh, Arkham Horror, the card game with the bag. I think it's really smart because they don't even give you the bag. You have to go find a bag. It's you can easily just grab a bowl or any, you know, like you can it's it's something you can reliably count on people to find something, but then the fun of like getting your own custom bag, I think weirdly adds to it and then they don't have to produce that either. It like cuts cost down. Um really it's just a bunch of chits you punch out. Just the act of knowing that 
in there, there's only one or two maybe that can let you pass this next thing. And the, the whole game is just so brutal. And so it's just made out of like dreading having to stick your hand into that dark pit and, you know, like hoping that you get the one or two that, you know, doesn't just destroy you, you know, like the one that at least keeps you going. And it's like one of the legacy campaign solo things that I like still play through just cause, um, yeah, I don't know. Just the whole experience, especially like around the Halloween spooky times. I love playing that game. <laughs> um, and I think the bag just adds so much to it. Um, and as you go through the campaign, you can be adding and removing stuff. You can, you know, changing how many are in there and what, what the odds are to make, you know, as you get further, you like, you get stronger, but also things get harder. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And kind of like we talked about, it has that nice, happy, middle of you feel in control but it's still very random and shuffling and you can get a bunch of brutal hits in a row you can get really lucky in a row you never know um and it just adds to that dread and then that's my main main pick i think uh just a shout out and wavelength has a pretty cool way of doing it it's just like a very fun tactile clicky thing those are my picks i don't have three not to be that guy but uh third edition arkham horror the card game does come with a bag steve oh well there we go okay the people the people demanded it and planet <laughs> fantasy flight was like okay here you go guys uh fine but just to kind of come off of you with the arkham horror thing that bag is so much fun because of how modular it is and you can control the difficulty it is basically a multi-sided die that you can just control and we've had like weeks where one guy is the only one that pulls the guaranteed failed shit and it's always like as long as i don't pull the failed shit we're fine and he always <laughs> pulls a failed shit week after week after week and it's like mike how do you keep doing this every single week <laughs> well there you have it uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show be sure to reach out at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com if you are not currently subscribed to us on your podcatcher of choice, please be sure to rectify that. And uh, if you like us and you enjoy hearing us uh, complain about games and talk about different mechanics, please be sure to uh, recommend us to a friend and uh, get them aboard the Cardboard Philosophy train. Until two Wait, weeks from now. we have a train? We do. It's, <laughs> this was all a train game this whole time. Let's go. Um, until next time, play some games. Do I get a penalty point for the incorrect ding? What did you ding incorrectly? Kinitsia himself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>